The world to do is to listen to people talk about you. Yeah, you know? I always sit in the back in a room because that's my favorite seat. Uh, are we booming a little bit? Am I booming a little bit? Is that all right? I don't mind booming, but yeah. I'm a sound man too, so comedy, 120 hertz, you know, how it goes. You know, um, years ago, in, a, in a, a Jewish book called The Bible, 95% written by Jews, 95% written about Jews, so from the Bible's perspective, Israel is not an interesting side issue. It's the issue. And if it's not an issue for us today, it's simply because we're not tracking. That's all. It's not a big thing. It just, most of us are off course on this. And there have been people in times past who've gone through Reformation. Some of you may know the name of Luther, Calvin, so many people like that. They brought the gospel back. They, re they restored it to the church. A little later on, there were people in England who were people saying, hey, God is calling believers to go out with the gospel to the world. So that was the evangelism restoration. People like uh, Adoniram Judson and others like that. C.T. Studd, Hudson Taylor. And so that actually began to affect, percolate through the church. And a lot of people in those days called Luther a heretic. A lot of people in those days called the evangelists heretical. Then a little bit later on came to focus on holiness. So you had the Nazarenes, and then later on the focus on the gifts of the Spirit, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. Azusa Street, which actually happened many, many years ago, connected to Passover, and today the meeting that they had yesterday was on the first day of the Biblical New Year, Exodus 12. A lot of interesting things about that too. But God has been restoring things that have been crunched, crushed out, choked in darkness. And that has to do with spiritual warfare, guys. God wants to communicate to us propositionally and experientially. And Satan has been interested in crushing out either the proposition or the experience. Okay? And so what's been happening is one of the, the last reformations that some of you may have been tracking with is what they call the prophetic and the apostolic. Uh, I don't like to use the word apostolic that much because uh, they say let another man praise you and not your own lips. So sometimes people call themselves apostolic and um, uh, better not to, uh, for various reasons. So if you just do this stuff, it doesn't matter what your name is, right? That's right. right. So what happens in any case is God is beginning to restore various gifts. One of the last reformations has to do with Israel. Another reformation has to do with the laity. What does a lady mean? Lady means everybody. See, what happened is the, the Christian priesthood was modeled on the priesthood in the temple. God says, I want to take each one of you and make you into priests. Men, women, black, white, Semitic, Hamitic, Japhitic, and any other Idics who are around. And make us into priests of God. Now along with that now comes this issue of the Jews. And again, if everything were alright, we wouldn't have to talk about it. If you look at Romans 1, not now, but if you know, Romans 1 says everything is going down like a blues song, going down. That means in our day too. Things are, the very list of things Paul's talking about, where we end up loving ourselves and worshiping our own bodies and exchanging what God gave us in his order for other orders, that's where we are, guys. 
It's even being preached in Easter in the White House. That's what's happening to this country and this world. We're going down. We're not going up. So, you're born at a time of going down. You're born at a time of war. And yet, it's politically correct to say three possible things before breakfast and believe them all. Everything is fine. We're getting better and better. The new president's going to change everything. It's going to be wonderful. It doesn't matter who he is or she is. It's all going to be fine. It's not true. Long time ago in Luke 24, Yeshua, which is his Hebrew name, his original name, the name his mommy called him. Why do we change it to Jesus? Because we couldn't pronounce the letter sh. The Greeks couldn't say sh. Can you say sh? You got it. Okay. Yeshua means <laughs> Yahweh's salvation. That's his name. So the Greeks couldn't say Yeshua, so they said Yeshua. But you don't end a man's name with A. You know, they're not Canadians. Yeshua, A? <laughs> so you make an S at the end. So that's how you get Yeshua's. And of course, if you're Norwegian, you say Jumping Jiminy. But if you're American, you say Jumping Jiminy. So that's how we get Jesus. Okay? Not his name. Close. He answers to it. But his mommy doesn't call him that. So if you're from a Catholic background, this is especially important to you. <laughs> call him by the name his mother called him. Yeshua. You with me? Let's try that. Ready? One, two, three. Yeshua. There you go. It's not that hard. So all of a sudden, you're growing a beard. Anyway, Yeshua in Luke 24 was walking on the road to Emmaus. As a matter of fact, my uh, grandfather-in-law, who is Gabriel's, Nelson's grandfather. Gabriel, would you wave? Would your family wave? I know this is terrible. This is my brother-in-law and his wife and family. His grandfather, my grandfather-in-law, wrote a book called The Road on the Road to Emmaus talking about what Yeshua would have talked about in Luke 24. So he's talking with these people, and they don't recognize him because it's hidden from them. Easter morning, but it was Passover morning because they didn't have Easter in those days. What synagogue did Jesus go to? That's a good question, you see. We don't think about it. So what church did he go to, we usually say. There were no churches. Anyway, so he's walking on the road with these guys, maybe Cleopas and his wife, and they're talking. And Yeshua says, hey, what's been happening? Why are you so sad? And they say, well, you don't know what's going on. There's been a heavy weekend in Jerusalem. And he says, really? Tell me, what happened? There's a little bit of drama, a little bit of irony in the scene. And so they're, they're talking this, and then they say, you know, we thought this guy was the Messiah. We thought he was going to bring in deliverance, and it didn't happen. And he says, oh, foolish men. And so slow to heart. To believe all that the prophets have said. Was it not written that the Messiah should die first and then be resurrected into glory? Now, if you had to prove that from what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, could you do that? See, Yeshua just opened the Hebrew Scriptures and explained it. Why didn't he open the New Testament? There was none. Now let me ask, if you're a woman, would you rather be called new or old? There you go. Men too, you know. So when we talk about Old Testament, where is the new covenant written the first time in Jeremiah 31? So I like the term Hebrew scriptures because sometimes when we say old, we say old and in the way. Okay, it's all the Bible. It's all the Word of God. So anyway, he explained to his generation, he said, hey, slow of heart, to believe all was written. Do we know 
what was written about that? Do we know what God has written about the Jewish people? Do we know what he's going to do with the Jewish people in this generation? Are we the same type of situation? Maybe so. And so my job is just to act like a little mosquito, a Jewish mosquito. I'm bigger than a mosquito. But uh, where was I just now? We were in Louisiana. We are driving along the road, and I see this word, Marangoy, which means mosquito in old French. There's a town called Mosquito in Louisiana. I want you to know. So I'm a mosquito. My job is just to make you itch a little bit and then to find the balm, the aloe vera in the scripture about this, okay? So, um, do you have aloe vera here in Massachusetts? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Not in a bottle. Can you grow it here? No, we grow it in Israel. And we need it in Israel. So, we're going to talk a little bit about something called the Ezekiel army, Ezekiel 37, what that means. I, I don't have a lot of time, so I can't kind of hold off what I'm saying. I'm going to kind of give it to you both, Marrows. Uh, but first, to start off with, just to get your attention, we're going to play a movie, a video, uh, which is based on Ezekiel 37, 1 through 11. Uh, and so uh, we're going to put that on now. And it's kind of loud. You want to make sure that it's loud enough. Uh, with people this age, I wouldn't say it's going to be too loud. So uh, let's enjoy this video. There'll be a short quiz afterwards if you can recognize all the faces in the video, okay?
Yeshua came the first time, a lot of people were looking for part of Yeshua, which was the issue of a Messiah coming to defeat the enemies of God and to reestablish the kingdom in Israel. That's one of his functions. But they weren't expecting him to come and suffer and to die for the sins of his people, which Isaiah 53 talks about. In the same way in our generation, it's politically incorrect to believe that the king of Israel is coming back to reign in Israel. It's politically incorrect to believe that God is restoring the Jewish people to their homeland as prophesied hundreds of times in the Hebrew Scriptures. And if we stand for these things, the world is going to say, are you crazy? Because so much of the history of the church has been choked and darkened through pride and conceit. Paul warns about this in Romans 11. And so what I'm talking about is only as controversial as the Bible. John Wilkwood told a story once. He was teaching a conference. And some man stood up and said, just how far, sir, do you intend to go with this? And he lifted up his Bible. And he said, only as far as this book. I said, well, I'm so thankful to hear that. John said, have you ever read this book? You got a 200-foot high angel. You got a burning bush talking. You got a donkey speaking with people. Some strange things in that book. Some strange things I talked about at the end of time. How does it feel to be kind of like the last generation? Like... Do you have a 501c3 you're going to hang around for it? What happens if this whole country goes bottom up? Then what do you do? 501c3s, or not 501c3s, what do you call them? 401. 401k. 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 All these numbers confuse me. I know what a 501c3 is. I don't know what a 401k is. But uh, 401ks are pretty good if you, if you need to heat yourself a little bit, you know, when it gets uh, cold. Um, but anyway, I wanted to have David and Jimmy come up and share just a little bit, maybe four or five minutes each, about what it's like to be a young believer, relatively. Uh, I'm young, they're younger. And uh, what it's like to be a believer in Israel, uh, in a country that's going through shaking and stuff, but yet a country with some huge, incredible promises. We're talking about Ezekiel 37, this army that God is raising up. This is something he promises to do in the last days. We believe we're kind of like at that point where God is restoring the Jews. We're going to talk more about it in a few minutes. But I wanted David to share a little bit. He's a handsome guy. He's my son. <laughs> he must look like his mom. He looks like his mom. But his sense of humor is mine. <laughs> See, so my, my mother is very beautiful. So that's a, and so is my wife. That was, that's a blessing. So I think this is probably the youngest group that we've been able to speak for. Yeah. Right? We were in Jacksonville, which is fine. I mean, every place is fine. We were in a group meeting in Jacksonville, and I, I couldn't find someone 30 or younger. So I wanted to kind of give you guys a, a snapshot, really, of what brought us here, or what brought me here, just because your dad does something, obviously doesn't necessitate that you're going to do it. But God has put something on my heart very strongly and very personally. And I think, especially to young people, you might be able to appreciate, because I grew up like you. I grew up in your generation. It's weird to say that, but we're, we're the same generation, so there's a lot of things that we can understand. So, has anyone ever served in the military? Okay, one. Where, where, where did you serve? I'm over 
They still believe that when the Bible says Israel, it actually means Israel, which is not common in Christian schools in America. That's the minority. And I was training these things with the vision of coming back and basically teaching my friends. Basically, if, if I grew up with you, I'd be teaching you guys, if you don't know already, all that God has planned in his, in his word for this place. So we went back and we started this Bible study of about, which in Israel is a big deal, it was about 15 to 25 people. That's not very common. And just beginning to train them in the very basics of their faith. Uh, for example, you know, all the hot topic issues that you guys probably deal with, what do we do with you know, this new sexual revolution? What do we do with the issues of abortion? What do we do with issues of, oh gosh, everything. The, the basics of the faith, but alongside that, I'm training them how to be effective in their environment. For example, we live in Jerusalem, which is about 30% ultra-Orthodox. It's, it's, it's not the same way in the rest of Israel, but it is in Jerusalem. And so to be able, like my dad was saying, to be able, and this is a challenge for you as well, and this isn't just for evangelism, this is for your own personal life. When Paul in 2 Timothy talks about all scripture is inspired and is profitable for all these different things, what scripture was he reading when he said that? That's the question anyone can answer. The Hebrew scriptures. Did he, well, I mean, he's writing this, he's writing the New Testament as he's speaking, so when he's writing these things, he's talking about the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. That this is what's going to end up being followed. Of course, the New Testament also fills those criteria, but that's what he's talking about. So I was, we started training them. Can you tell me, show me the gospel from the Old Testament? Because if you're in Israel, people, even secular, have some kind of respect or affinity for the, for the Hebrew scriptures, and they, they have a love for it, even if they haven't read it. So to be able to show them that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's going to come, that he's going to die, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to do miracles that he's going to be born of a virgin, it's going to be in Bethlehem, that he's going to come back again. How do we reconcile this kind of suffering and victorious Messiah? All from the Old Testament, because if you can open up the Old Testament and show the gospel through the Old Testament, you're going to be able to kind of remove a lot of stumbling blocks that come with Christianity in order to be able to share with the Jewish person. Eventually, we have to get to the New Testament. Without the New Testament, we don't have the fulfillment of these prophecies. But can you do that? I don't know many people who can. So we train them in things like that, and we also train them in what is God's plan for his people in this place. Because if part of the plan of God to reconcile all of creation to himself involves him coming back to Israel, involves his people saying, the night, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I won't come back until they say that. If that's part of his plan, and we want to submit to his plan, we have to get on board with his plan. And if we're, if, if we're thinking, okay, I'm going to... I'm only going to hasten the day and the return of the Lord by going to the orphans and widows, which is essential, but I leave out this huge part. There's going to be kind of, an, a, a, kind of a rude awakening when God sits and asks, like, you know, I'm not going to get into Matthew 25, but it's, a, it's often a misinterpreted chapter about, to the least of these my brothers. What did you do for the least of these my brothers? So this is kind of what God has put in our heart, is to train this army of Ezekiel 37, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowledgeable in the Word, knowledgeable in their identity, because if they don't believe who they are, they're not going to walk in it. It's not complicated. If you don't believe that you're a child of God, you're not going to live like a child of God, you're not going to pursue that relationship as a child of God. So we want to train young Jewish Israelis in the calling that they have to be this mighty army. And it says, you guys know the passage in, um, in Ephesians 6 about the full armor of God, Right? You've got what? Okay, don't, don't beat me there. You got the helmet of salvation. 
Blessed kind of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith, shoes. These are all, in a sense, these are all defensive, right? They're all defensive. But there is one offensive weapon in the holiest. And that's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? So this army of Ezekiel 37 is going to be an army filled with the spirit of God. They're going to have to have, alongside the fact that they're an army, they're going to have physical weapons. They're going to need that spiritual weapon, which is the word of God. So to train them in using the one offensive weapon to then take ground, or they need to know how to use it, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking to them. Okay. I'll talk to you later. She goes on to talk later. Anyway, so that's what we want to do. We want to start an institute where we train Jewish believers in the scriptures and in their identity so that they can walk in it. That's a good thing. Um, I was just going to share a very quick story of what that what we're talking about. You know, it's one thing to have um, a PowerPoint and then a theology in your head, and then it's very different on its feet. So we're talking about how does that work out practically. So um, this past fall, there was a new wave of terrorism where there were a lot of stabbings in Jerusalem, which is where we live. And the stabbings were on the buses, and I take the bus every day. And uh, our particular neighborhood within Jerusalem is called Arnona, not that you need to know that, but there was just this wave of fear over our neighborhood. It was almost suffocating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk theologically about an army, or you talk biblically about, um, you know, the sword of the spirit, but I mean, <laughs> I gotta be honest, sometimes I look at the Lord, I'm like, what does that actually mean, though? How do I do that? Or, you know, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down the strongholds. But I'm just walking with a backpack to the bus, and I have no idea if there's a terrorist on the bus. Look, what does that mean? How do I actually live in the, 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 the spirit of God and with the armor of God? So here's a quick story. Um, within our neighborhood, there's a lot of um, believers, actually. Um, well, for Israel, a lot of believers. And a lot of young moms who have kids, and they were afraid to put their kids on the bus. And um, a lot of us weren't sleeping well. It was just this kind of you know, terror by, by name is to terrorize people even if the threat isn't real. So we're all living under this fear. So uh, it wasn't my idea. One of the moms in the area um, said, you know what, ladies? The most unlikely army you could think of. She said, we are going to prayer walk our neighborhood, and we're going to prayer walk and speak out loud the truth and the and the word of God as we, and as she said, it case the joint. And so... It was so funny. Our first morning, I'm like, wow, Lord, you really have a sense of humor. You know, when you think about a military army or if you think about um, a terrorist having, you know, a weapon. Here I am with, like, six moms. We've got, like, trailers of, you know, diaper bags and dogs and children. And we're pulling over to the side for um, nursing breaks. Like, it was... Like, it could not be more vulnerable, right? Like, what, what equipment does this army have, you know? And so um, yeah. we very wisely, in essence, spiritually, weren't trying to take in any more territory than we had. We all lived in the neighborhood of Arnona, so we made a circle of the neighborhood of Arnona. And so two testimonies came out of that. One was spiritual and one was practical. The spiritual thing that came out of it is all of us slept so well. Like, we just, we did our job in the spirit. We declared the word of God around the borders of our neighborhood. Babies went to sleep, moms went to sleep, yeah. we're not a mom yet, but we want that soon. Um, moms, and, <laughs> uh, moms went to sleep, dads were okay, like you could put your kid on the bus, I got on the bus, and there was no fear. So spiritually speaking, I really believe that the Lord lifted the spirit of fear over our neighborhood. 
So that was the spiritual outcome that came from just declaring the word of God out loud around our neighborhood. And then practically speaking, um, it was, I think it was three days later, um, an act of terror happened. Like, let's say this, this is our neighborhood. It happened in a neighborhood right next to ours. And the terrorist ran, and the police were able to neutralize him, and he, he, um, he came down. They, they got him, I think it was right on the border. Like, if we had prayed on this street, then right across the street, is where he fell, and he was not able to enter literally the border of Arnona. And to this day, even after that whole terror wave, none of those actual acts of terror happened in the neighborhood of Arnona because the word of God was declared around the entire neighborhood. And so it really is true that spiritual weapons have power, and the Lord can, in essence, neutralize the enemy, and he's not allowed to come in. So as we talk about these things that is going to share, this is, a, as it were, an illustration of how God actually does this. And it's amazing. So we sleep and we live and we breathe and we worship. And um, in Jerusalem, which can be a scary place to live, but our God is greater. Amen. 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 So we have about another hour of meeting, right? Is that right? <laughs> another nine minutes. So I'm going to try to sum things up very, very briefly. If you don't get what I'm saying, open the Bible. If you don't get it there, you can, we have a book in the back which is called Israel, the Key to World Revival, which is basically just Bible. Uh, you can pick that up, you can buy it as an e-book if you want, but it's all in the scriptures. So if you start digging in the scriptures with this in mind, you may find things that you never knew were there. So basically, philosophically speaking, allow me to do that, okay? God promises he's going to restore the Jewish people to their land. Is that happening? It is happening. 100 and 200 years ago, there was a guy, a Scottish farmer, who wrote a Bible called uh, Brown's uh, Annotated uh, Bible. We found it in a castle in Scotland around 1730, 1750. And he said, as is prolegomenon to his Bible, he had about 25 pages of notes. And one of the things he said, expect these things to happen based on what the prophets say. The Jews are going to come back to their land. The world's going to be opposed to them. There's going to be battles. They're going to come to faith in Yeshua, and it's going to be life from the dead for the world. Why did he say that? Because it's in the Bible. He found it there. He studied it. So if some Scottish farmer can do it, what about you? Right? Cambridge. Exciting place. People think. Or at least they repeat intelligently what they've been taught. Right? Okay, so if God is restoring the Jewish people to the land and there's prophecies about that, chances are the other prophecies that he's talking about are also going to happen. So Ephesians, Ephesians, it sounds like Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, verse 9, 10, 11 say he's bringing them back to the land and there he's going to give them spiritual life and they're going to turn into a mighty army. So if you're not interested in that concept, turn off, tune out, Drop dead. Isn't that what Timothy Leary said? He was at Harvard. Oh, that was a different generation. I'm sorry. Do you know who Timothy Leary is? Some of you do. Well, you and I know, but that's a different issue. You know, I was an unlicensed pharmacist in days gone by. But uh, some of you don't know what that means, and that's fine. It's safe. But um, basically, God said, I'm bringing the Jewish people back to the land. They get the 
spiritually to Yeshua as a nation, they're going to turn into a mighty army. We're talking about what God is going to do with that mighty army. Now that mighty army does two things. But what they don't do is they're not like the grenadiers of Buckingham Palace. You know those guys? They're dressed in red coats, they got bearskin hats, they march around, they do absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's the type of army that most pacifist Americans are into. Right? You get awards, you march, bayonet, a non-soldier, it's very nice. Right? Fighting, that's for movies. But what happens if you get a Hitler rising up in the world? What are you going to do again? It's going to happen, guys. What happens when the world turns against America? Well, that happened in 9-11, didn't it? That could have been a change for this country. It could have been where people said, how did it happen? What was happening, not with them, because they're always fighting. What happens with us? How were the walls of protection broken down? What can we do to restore them? What about a repentance for this nation? That didn't happen. We just said, let's go out and kill Taliban. That doesn't make it. See, God was trying to speak to this country through the suffering as well. It didn't happen. Right now, in the Middle East, there's all kinds of wars going on. There's also one going on with Israel. But if you're a Christian in many Arab countries, you're persecuted, you're killed, you don't have full rights. And this essentially is what the powers that be in that area want to do with the Christians and with the Jews. That's just the way it is. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. It doesn't matter who's president, it's still going to get worse. Because they're convicted, they have a conviction they're doing something according to what their religion says. It's just the way it is. And if you don't know about that, you can read have a, a thing on our website called Perspective on Islam. It's called davidstent.org. That's the name of the website. You go there, read it. Read the source documents about what's going on there. By the way, you received a little flyer here. Looks like this. I think it's a beautiful printing job. <laughs> See that? Graphic design in Israel. We even speak English there sometimes. And uh, this talks about what we're trying to do and how you can be in touch with us if you'd like to do that. But this army which is going to be raised up when we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy will be done on in heaven as it is on earth, right? <laughs> what do we say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we say, Thy will be done in heaven as it is in heaven? Because that's the way some of us pray. See, the hope of the prophets, the hope that Paul said he's on trial for, is that God would reestablish his kingdom in Jerusalem, that Yeshua would come and reign in Jerusalem, that the Jewish people would know him totally, and that they would go and teach the whole world about how to know God. So that's an invitation for you. You want that to happen? Pray into that prophecy. There's hundreds of prophecies like that. And so the army involves not only physical stuff. We have an army in Israel. We're not trying to train people to be in the physical army. We're trying to train young Messianic Jewish believers and other people in the country who all want to be part of this to be knowing how to represent God to our people to understand the calling, to understand some of the events which are going to happen, to speak like the Woodstock generation to our country using culture, using art, music, and stuff which really communicates, right? That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. It takes about an hour to explain. I don't have the time, okay? So what you can do if you're interested, get in touch with us. You can put your name on the newsletter list. We'll send you a newsletter when we have something to say, which could be once every three months, once every month. It really depends. And uh, there's books, there's uh, CDs with uh, Messianic music from Israel. And uh, it's good to talk to you. 
It's wonderful to see people who are not falling asleep when I'm talking, but <laughs> that sometimes depends on me. And uh, I don't, we don't have time for questions, there's no time for tea, but uh, let's pray for a second, okay? Father.